Our guest, guest, our speaker for uh, ABF is Jeff Griffith. He's here with his wife and his family. And Jeff has been serving in Czech Republic. That's correct. You don't, it's an arthritis. Sinarthris, right? Yeah, Czech Republic, not the Czech Republic, for 23 years, and we've been supporting them for 26 years, because we started actually with his wife, Lisa, who came from Indianola? No, Osio- teaching in Osceola. Osceola. See, it's all before my time, so it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then when she married Jeff, we said, well, I guess we'll support him too. Um, I've had a chance to get to know Jeff actually pretty well over the recent months as we've been in touch with them about some of the transitions in ministry and, and it's just been a joy to get to know them and we're so glad to have them here to give a report on the work they're doing and so I turn it over now to Jeff. All right, um, maybe I should switch this to the other side. That way it'll block all of your view of the slides. That will, won't it? How about if we set it back here? Okay, can you see well? (laughs) You don't need to see me. Um, Like he said, Jeff and Lisa, we've, uh, this is basically about our fourth or fifth time here. We just appreciate coming. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers. I was, we were here last fall and gave you kind of a summary of what God had done in the past term, the last four or five years. And so what I'd like to do right now is just kind of give you an update because the end of May and beginning of June, for about three weeks, I was in the Czech Republic uh, to be with a short-term team from Corbin University. Uh, most of the ministry that I've been involved with in the last couple years uh, has involved teaching English in public schools with the hope that we can make contact with kids, with the staff, and everyone else. So if we can go forward a couple slides, a picture of, uh, of there's Europe, and then there's one more. And this, if you see Prague, just to the, if you go right below, there's a word there called Usetsky. And right below that Y, there's a little long name called Kralupina Doltavo. And that's where we've been serving in the public schools. I've been serving in the public schools. One more picture. I think it's a little bigger map. Yeah. And you can see we have in the Czech Republic per capita more castles and palaces than any other country in Europe. And that's thanks to the Austrians who built many palaces for their many, many, many children. Uh, but we're, we're in Kralupi. The, the key thing there is that in 1928, if we go a little more, about three or four more slides. I'm going to keep you busy back there. <laughs> one more, two more, I think. Another one. There we go. Brother Roth, in 1928, went to the city of Kralupi in order to establish a church in the city. Uh, of Kralupi. Kralupi is the first town north of Prague, which is a transfer station on the rail line. So you come up there and then you can go three different directions on the train line. So it's a a significant town. It's It's a transfer station. From there, you have connection to approximately 45, somewhere between 45 and 50 towns that you can hop on a train and be to the center of Kralupi in under 30 minutes. So with that, we're praying and thinking before we went, when we went up there about the year 2008, we thought, boy, 
if you establish a good, healthy church in Kralupi, you can reach this whole region. Well, in 1928, that was the exact same vision that Brother Roth had when he went to Kralupi. So here we are, 80 years apart, two different countries we come from. He's Czech, I'm, I'm American, and we have this basically the same vision. And something tells me that that vision is a little bit bigger than Brother Roth, a little bit bigger than me, that this is something that God wants to do in this region. He wants to reach the whole region by establishing his church in the city of Kralupi. If we go a few more, pay, a few more slides, probably going to have to go about six or seven till we get to... Uh, that's a picture of our town. There's three churches in the town. Two of them meet in the same building. Keep going. All right, we'll start there. What happened, just to kind of give you the little background, a little review, uh, we were there in 2008. We had a ministry team that um, uh, was supposed to do ministry, and one of the main things we were doing was doing like a coffee house ministry in a public school, in the high school there. That kind of fell apart. We prepared these programs for the kids, and the kids didn't come. But every time you met the kids, they said, I can't wait till we can get together. When's the next coffee house going to be? But then they'd never come. And it finally dawned on us, what they're really asking us is, when can we get together? Because it seems like the only time we, as the adults, had time to meet with them is when we, the adults, prepared a coffee house for them. So what happened is we kind of inverted it, and we just started calling them up, giving them text messages and asking, hey, got time for coffee, got time for a Coke. And they had time for that. And so we started meeting with them individually in groups of two or three, and we had more opportunity and a better opportunity to share the love of Christ and to share the gospel with them in those individual meetings than we ever did doing a coffeehouse ministry. <clears throat> so the coffeehouse ministry came to a screeching halt. Number one, we didn't have the people to help with it. We didn't have the kids coming. And it was more effective to actually just call them up, set up a meeting, go to a coffee shop and talk, or come to our office and have a free cappuccino or espresso. Uh, this is my comfort. Some Linus has his blanket. I have my cup of coffee. Some of you are aware are, are like that too. Uh, well, then I'm like I still have all this discretionary time on my hand as a missionary because my agreement with the church that we work with there is that I will not initiate any ministry unless there is a Czech who can learn to do the ministry and lead the ministry or help me in the ministry. We didn't have anyone that could do that, so I volunteered at a public school where Joshua was going. And they said, we would love to have you do an English club for our kids. But they were still kind of leery because I was willing to do it free. And they thought, if somebody's doing it free, there's got to be a catch. And they learned that there wasn't a catch. I did it. And the kids that were in the club excelled at speaking English. They were fourth and fifth graders. And at the end of the period that we had, the one semester, they were speaking English very well and were at the top of their class when it came to English conversation. Matter of fact, they were better than the kids Great. There were two or three grades ahead of them. And so we went on home assignment, and when we came back, uh, we started the clubs again. Uh, then I started getting invitations from other schools. Um, two other schools asked if I would teach English in regularly as English conversation. That began. And then in, 19, in 2014, which I think will be the next slide, uh, Putin invaded the Ukraine. This team from Corbin University, which is in Salem, Oregon, was supposed to go to the Ukraine, but because of the conflict, they couldn't. They asked if we could take the team. We did. We got into seven public schools to do English conversation. 
Then the next year, 2015, uh, another team came, and then 2016, another team came, and then this past summer, another team came. So four years in a row. The first year led to uh, one of our uh, believers in, uh, in the area. She, she and her husband work with Bethel, which is a drug rehab center, uh, Christian drug rehab center, and she, she is trained to do Christian ethics workshops. So she went into the schools to do Christian ethics. She couldn't get into the schools, so we wrote her a letter of reference. Three schools asked her to come in, and the Christian ethics workshops turned into Christian ethics classes in the public schools. So she's doing these classes. They're Christian-based, uh, and she just does an ex- excellent job. The classroom is more on the format of like a workshop where the kids have things they need to do, and in the process they interact. Uh, and the main thing is, is that they present the same values, the same ethics, that the school system wants their children to learn and to, to live by. Uh, the next year, we started a middle school youth group, junior hires. All of those kids, uh, most of those kids came from the middle schools there in Kralupi. Most of them were friends of Veronica, the, the ethics teacher, her children. She has two children. And then the third year, we were able to, that led to us being able to start, uh, what would you call, a, a Lego club. And uh, it's a time where you have this big table set up in the form of a cross, and you build this big Lego city. And this big Lego city, uh, there we go, yeah. This big Lego city, uh, five days the kids are building this Lego city, and at the end you have a program telling uh, that basically it says that Jesus is the architect and builder of our lives. And you get to share the gospel through that. So the parents are there, grandparents are there, the whole family's there. It's just a really cool thing. Well, this past year, when we went back, um, there was basically three things that uh, I was seeking to accomplish. Number one, lead the team. And this year, every year we increased by one school. So we did seven years the first year, eight, nine. And this past year, we visited 10 schools. Uh, We visited all but one school in our area. And the thing that is so significant about that is in our area where we live, in Kralupi, all the kids from all those surrounding towns and villages have to come into Kralupi or one of these other schools to go to middle school because those smaller towns and villages don't have a middle school. All they have is, some of them have just grades one through five. Once they hit grade six, they have to go most likely to Kralupi to go to middle school. So here we are, Brother Rotz, 80 years ago, and myself trying to figure out what will God do to give us access and contact with these people in this whole region? How are we going to contact and make contact and develop relationships with these people? And God is using the public schools to give us contact with these kids because now, after this year, 10 schools, we talked to approximately 1,700 students plus probably another two dozen staff members and so, so now we know kids in every town and village around Kralupi. How else could God do that? We, were, we didn't know how it was going to happen. And so God opened up an opportunity through something simple, just helping these kids practice speaking English. That's all we do. We go into a classroom, have a class the size of about 25 kids, and we spend a class time, about 45 minutes, um, breaking them into smaller groups and talking with them in English. 
ask them questions and then they ask us questions. So some of the questions that we would ask would be like, what do you do on the weekend? How do you spend your free time on the weekend? And the reason we do that is because the typical thing that usually happens is whatever questions we ask them, they ask us back because they're nervous and they can't always think of a question to ask because like most kids today, they're doing more with texting and short messages that probably aren't more than about four or five words long, if that. And then they just text back and forth. They don't really know how to sit down with a person anymore and talk and carry on a verbal conversation. They know how to text each other, but to sit down and actually have a conversation with somebody, the younger people of our genera- of our, that we have are losing that ability. Some of you probably know that from grandkids and children, don't you? You know, uh, I remember one youth group that I was at, and here you have eight girls. Nobody's talking to each other, and they're all texting each other. But they're texting somebody else in the room. Instead of talking to each other, they're texting each other in the room, but nobody's talking to each other. And sometimes it wasn't so good. It's like, can you believe that she's actually wearing that? <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff goes on. So it's, it's helping them, once again, learn the art of verbal communication because that's still important in the world today. Learning how to talk to someone face-to-face. We have to learn that skill and develop that skill. So that's why the schools find this such a powerful, powerful tool, uh, a powerful, powerful ministry, is that we're actually helping their kids develop the ability for conversation. And at the same time, they're learning English, which they're required to learn from grades four, from grade three up. So from grade three, it's mandatory English classes until you graduate from high school. Um, So we provide those services for them. What are some of the things that happened this year while we were there? Uh, This is the first year we were able to have our Czech believers with us as part of the team as we went into the public schools, which is really cool. I think of those 10 schools, there was only three schools that we did not have a member of our church accompanying us in the school. Uh, And so we're at one school, it's called Trebiskeho, which if you can pronounce that, you get a one-way ticket to Czech Republic. Uh, but in Trebiskeho, it was really cool because we're in this class and the teacher was, went out with the Czech person and one of our students, or actually the professor that was accompanying the team, and they were talking and she was just sharing about her life that she was having some struggles. She had just lost her husband two years ago and now she's having health problems. Well, the Czech believer that was there had in the past two or three years gone through some serious health problems. And in the process of going through those health problems, God used those things to bring her to salvation. So she was able to share her testimony with this Czech teacher. And uh, so that's the kind of stuff that happens in this. Another thing that happened frequently is we'd have these classes, and one of the other questions that we started this year that I thought at first was just kind of strange but the college students started asking the kids, uh, who's your favorite superheroes? You know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Bat- you know, who is it? Well, when they would ask me that question, because occasionally I would be in a circle, or if they'd ask some of the students, the students would say, well, G- Jesus Christ is my favorite superhero. And they go, Jesus Christ? They go, yeah, the guy can fly. I mean, he ascended to heaven, and he didn't even have to have any special powers. He just did it on his own. He walked through a wall. I mean, boom, walked right through the wall, and he didn't even have to destroy the wall. It was there, and he just, boom, right through it, and he's through to the other side. 
He healed the dead. He, he raised the dead. He healed the sick. He walked on water. Tell me a superhero that does all that stuff. No, no superhero does those kind of things, but that's my Jesus. And the, you know what's really cool? He was a real person. He wasn't something that was in a comic book. He was a real person who lived in time and history. And so we got the opportunity to tell them some things about Jesus Christ, and they started thinking, well, I guess Jesus Christ really could be considered a superhero because he did those things. And so it's just simple things like that. Uh, you don't always get a chance to share the gospel directly, but you get to share tidbits. A conversation comes up, <clears throat> and you can bring in a biblical perspective with no problem because that's your perspective, and that's allowed. They understand tolerance much better than we do, than unbelievers do in, in, in the United States. They tolerate your perspective because it is yours. And they will be respectful enough to listen to your perspective, just like we're respectful to listen to their perspective. Um, one of the other things that was uh, really fun about this is uh, we would have an opportunity in the afternoons. Most of the classes would go from 8 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So we would do typically anywhere from 6 to 7 hours of conversational English classes every day. Now, if you're a teacher and you had to teach seven hours of class every day, some of you who are teachers know that that would be a lot. If you're a primary school teacher, you do that every day. But that's what it was like for these guys, to do seven to eight hours of English every day. And uh, they were pretty well exhausted by the time they finished because these kids, it's, it's laborious because you talk and you have to be patient to wait for a response. What they'll do is you ask a question in English, and most of the kids have to take that question in English, translate it into Czech, then they think of their answer in Czech, and then they translate it back into English. And that doesn't happen like that. There's long pauses, and that can get a little bit challenging. But once you get used to it, it's okay. Um, but we've had uh, kids like, for example, the one, one class that we had, and I think this was actually a year ago, I walked into a class because sometimes if I have the opportunity just to kind of float between the small groups to see how they're going to see if anyone's having a problem. And this one group, when I walked up, they asked me who I was, and so I told them who I was, and they asked me what I did, and I told them, you know, I work with the, the Church of the Brethren in the Czech Republic, and I teach English, I teach Bible, and I talk to people about Jesus. And the one kid goes, you teach Bible? Kind of like, Funny, like he was making fun. I says, yeah. He says, well, give us a Bible lesson. I says, you want a Bible lesson? And all the kids go, yeah, give us a Bible lesson. So I told them the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind and how all men are lost because Adam sinned and we inherited his sinful nature. Therefore, we need a Savior to save us from our sins so that we can know God and experience joy and peace and love and kindness for all of eternity. I had to do it because they asked for it. So that's what I did. Those are the kind of things that happen. Um, and, and this year, there was no exception. The kids, some of the kids would come back and say, "How I can't believe it, but this kid asked me, why do I believe in Jesus Christ? So he's got to answer the question, right? He was asked by a student. Therefore, he asked to answer the question. If he's going to be open and honest, and so he was able to share with these kids why he believes in Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of stuff that happens. Does it happen every hour? No, but it happens now and then. One of the things that we did and we changed up this year uh, is we like to use music. 
often we start off most of the classes with the song Making Melody in My Heart. So, you know, it's got the motions. How many know that song with the motions? Because you're saying, Making melody in my heart, making melody in my heart, making melody in my heart to the King of Kings. And then whatever I do, everybody has to do. So I'd go, thumbs up, and they'd have to go, thumbs up and stick their thumbs up. Well, you go through all these motions, there's like a half a dozen. By the time you're done, you're, you're bent over like this, knees bent, your head's bent, your tongue's out, and you're turning around as you're singing the song. So it just totally embarrasses you. But what it does is it relaxes everybody so that they're freed up, and they've eliminated all their inhibitions, and they speak much better. Well, this year we changed up, and we started doing the song. I'd take my guitar in, <clears throat> and we'd start singing The River. I know a place where we can go. And then we sang through the whole song together. The lyrics, they all had the lyrics, and then we had questions about the lyrics, and so we'd start talking to them about the lyrics of the song, The River. Um, and then the other one we would do occasionally would be Love Broke Through. We typically do those with the high school kids because their, their English is good enough that they can actually talk about those things and they can actually understand the lyrics of the song. So it was just really cool to be able to use songs like that. And so here we are doing the river in this one high school. And the next thing I know, all these kids have their phone out because at the top we have the singer's name and the title. And they're all going to YouTube to download or to get the YouTube video on the song. So all these kids now, they really like that song because it moves. They don't understand the words completely, but here they are YouTubing Felix to find out, can, they want to listen to the song again and see what other songs he sings. So now they're getting introduced to Christian music, which they think is pretty cool, because they think it was good music, wow. So we're introducing the kids in public schools to Christian music in the United States with the hope that they'll start listening and understanding what the lyrics are saying. Um, <clears throat> so that was, just, that was one of those things that was just cool, to be able to do that um, and introduce them to some, some songs that have better lyrics than the things they typically listen to. So that was an encouragement. One of the major things I was hoping to be able to get accomplished while I was there was uh, to talk with the leaders of the church that we partner with. The way it's set up, we have what's called a mother church. Um, and I think you guys have done a church plant here too, haven't you? Over the time, you've helped start another church. And you were like the mother church, and that would be considered your daughter church, the one that you launched and initiated. Well, that's the same situation they have, only they've got, with all the different churches they have, they have about a hundred of those daughter churches with the various churches they have in their denomination. So they have a hundred places right now where they could use a missionary to take a church plant, a daughter church, and develop into a full-blown independent church. They've got that. They just don't have the people to do it. Uh, so anyway, I was meeting with the elders of the Mother Church, and we talked through the whole situation with our church in Karalupi. You can see that's what we look like in the spring of 2016, and if they advance one slide, you'll see what happened in the fall. We went from being crowded to overflowing. So at, at that point, they had chairs that they would bring in and put beside the pews, and that still wasn't enough. There were still people that had to sit around behind the corner because there wasn't room in that part of the sanctuary. It's like an L. And so you had people around the corner who couldn't see the pastor, but you had approximately 45, 50 people in there on a Sunday morning where you have seating for about 30. So we were kind of packed out. 
That would be nice if you had every seat in here filled out and you have people out in the other room with a video or something like that and even that's filled up and you still don't know where you're going to put people. That would be a great problem to have, wouldn't it? Every room filled. That's what we were experiencing. Um, but there's been attrition since then. Uh, we saw three, member, three people come to faith, baptized and join the church last year before we left. And since then, those three people have remained faithful. But the, the ministry team that we had, uh, we knew one couple was planning to move, and they finally got their house remodeled up in the mountains, and they finally moved away from us. And we sent them off and, um, with blessing, and we're hoping to get up there sometime this year to just fellowship with them and kind of have like a mini church retreat up at their place and camp out in a tent somewhere. We don't know if that's going to work or not, but that's what we're hoping but anyway, we had that, and then we had another family who is going through some deep waters right now. So they've had to withdraw from the leadership team, and uh, they're in the process of getting some help and, and helping them to grow. And the thing that I think is so encouraging for me is if that would have happened two to three years ago, if that family would have encountered the same difficulties two to three years ago, people would have asked them to leave the church. That's not happening anymore. Instead, we are rallying beside them and coming in alongside them to help them grow and to get through this together. And for me, that shows that our little congregation, even though we're small, we are developing some very, very healthy habits. We want to see everyone not only grow in Christ, but to remain healthy. And when somebody struggles... We just don't say, this is going to be too hard. This is going to be too difficult. This is more than we as a tiny little congregation of 18 people can handle. We're sorry we can't handle it. Go find somewhere, somewhere else. No, we're saying, you are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you. We're coming along beside you. We're going to walk this journey together. And that is what is so encouraging to me, is we understand because of what God has done in our midst and reconciling us not only to him, but to each other, that we're going to stay with this family and hang in there with them as long as we possibly can, as long as they're willing to walk that journey with us. To me, the core thing that we do as believers in Jesus Christ, the core ministry that we have is reconciliation. We are called to take part in the joyous thing of helping reconcile people to God. Jesus Christ has already done everything that is necessary to reconcile each and every last one of us to the Father. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it says, and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And that only goes to reconciling people to God the Father, but to each other. If we can't reconcile to each other, then we're hypocrites. And we are mocking the cross of Jesus Christ. So we have to be able to learn how to reconcile to each other. When we don't do that, we are denying the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so for me, to see our church trying and working with this family to help them work through some issues is a perfect example that God has done a work in us because now he's doing it through us. Seeing three people, four people come to faith, reconciled to God, and now we're seeing people in our congregation reconciled to each other. I have no doubts that God is going to bring us to growth. He's going to bring us and he's going to grow our congregation. 
We can look at all the things that have happened to us. We can look at all the things that have happened in our congregation, even this past year while we've been gone with the couple moving away, this other couple having struggles. And we can look at that and say, man, we are under satanic attack. Yeah, we are. But at the same time, God uses that to prune us as a congregation. And anytime God prunes us as a congregation, the reason he prunes us isn't because he's mad at us, but he prunes us just like we prune a fruit tree in order that we might bear more fruit. Why do we prune a tree? To get more fruit. You've got to cut those branches off. It's painful. It's not comfortable. And sometimes we wonder, why are you cutting off that branch? But the master man, the man who knows the orchard, who cares for the trees, he knows what branches he's got to cut off. And that's what our God is doing. He's pruning us because I have no doubt that moving forward from this day on, that he is going to bear more fruit in the city of Kralupi. We have contact with every grade, every middle school grade. We have contact with every kid in every middle school grade in the city of Kralupi and in the surrounding cities. There's only one school we're not in yet. By the grace of God, we'll be in it next year. And you can pray to that end. And that way, we will have contact with every kid in every middle school in our region. One school left. That's all that's left. <clears throat> we were able to go into a new school this year in the city of um, Brandesnadlabem, and that's where our associate pastor lives. And we're looking to start a new church there. And now because we're in the school, we now have an, a, a much wider open door to establish a new church because of a short-term team that came this summer because of your prayers for us. Uh, and so we're excited. We have the opportunity for another church plant. We have the opportunity now to go into a, a city where we already have, two other cities where we have church plants. We visited the one in Nebekov, and the ministry there is going well, but this is really good because, again, we, we reconnected our pastor there with the people in the school so that he can continue to do ministry with those people in that school out to the kids and the staff of that school. We have another town where we have a church plant. It's called Mielnik. There are approximately 14 schools that we could go into, but we don't have a team to go in there, and we don't have the capacity to lead a team in those areas. But those are towns, those are cities, where we have the opportunity, using this English, camp pro, or this English conversation program, where we could open up and see church plants established and grow and strengthen. Uh, when I was there, the, the one thing that we were talking about with the elders more than anything else was the situation in, among the members of Karalupi. We have a new couple that's there coming from a Jehovah Witness background, but they're solid theologically. So what do we do with them? Um, and trying to incorporate them into the church and just making sure that they truly are born again and that their doctrine is solid. Uh, the other question was, what do we do for church leadership now? Because they really want us to establish a, a, a leadership team that is able to take the church forward and eventually become the elders of the new church. So we're praying through that. You can pray with us on that. We have two of us that they would like to see. I would really like to see two more guys. Uh, Zdenyuk, if we go, I think, back a slide. So if you see the, the guy there on your left in the dark, that's Zdenyuk Vanya. He's a fireman, and he works at a, he's a fireman at a refinery. So, you know, when, when the whistles blow and he has to go to the refinery for a fire, you just never know if you'll ever see him again, because <laughs> those can be nasty fires. But fortunately, there hasn't been anything serious. The man in the middle, the older gentleman in the middle, married Brother Roth's 
daughter. And he wrote the chronicles, the history of our little congregation. And thanks to him, we know that Brother Roth's vision was to establish a church that can reach the whole region. Uh, when I was there last year before we left, he and his wife celebrated their 71st wedding anniversary. She passed away last October. And while I was back with the short-term team, he celebrated his 94th birthday. Uh, but just a, a wonderful man. And then the lady beside him, Bendula, she's one of our new believers. Uh, one of the few people between the age of 40 and 80 who are now a member of our church. There's only two of them. Actually three. Lisa, myself, and her. So take away the Americans. She's the only Czech believer between the age of 40 and 80 in our congregation. So for us, that's a big thing. That's a big thing to see that middle generation of people who grew up under communism starting to come to faith. God has not given up on them. So that's basically a summary of what we're looking at. We're looking at going back and establishing new small groups. Zdenik has already developed a vision, which is really, really cool to see him develop this vision for establishing small groups, because how are you going to do things in these towns and villages? The most effective way to do it is to establish small groups. And in order for there to be small groups, we have to develop small group leaders, which means we have to have more believers, people who are trained to lead Bible studies and, and have that small ability to lead the small groups and do pastoral care for the people in their small groups. Those are the things that, that we're looking forward to doing when we get back. How is that going to be? We don't know. Because the first thing we have to do is Lisa and I need to get away for a week of prayer and vision just to talk through things. And we've got a week coming up because the boys will be at camp. And then we also need to get together with the members of the church and figure out together, pray together, spend time praying together, what does God want us to do together so that we can serve the Lord together and see more people reconciled to the Father, more people reconciled to each other, and by the grace of God see our congregation grow both spiritually and numerically. That's basically it. Uh, if any questions, I'd be more than happy to entertain them. Any, uh, anybody willing to come over on a short-term team? Because one of the things we'll probably be able to get started in another year, maybe two years, is we'll start doing family English camps again. Because now we have contact with kids in public schools. We now are known in the area. The church is known as being a church that does good isn't seeking money all the time, but they're actually trying to do something to help the community. And so now we have an opportunity to send out flyers, invite people to an English language camp, the whole family, and there's a greater probability this time people will actually sign up and come. But we'll need teams for that. So you can be praying about that too. Send a team over to help us. Okay, any questions? Any comments? not, we could finish early. M4, um, what it was, it's for church, it's, to, it's, a, it's training to help start new churches. And even though we aren't a new church, there were some things that they had that we felt were really good. M4 stands, there's four M's, master, Jesus Christ is the master of our lives, and he has the right to tell us what he, what he wants to do. We're his disciples, we are to follow him and obey his commands. Because discipleship is not about knowing what Jesus taught, but doing, obeying what Jesus taught. But it's even more than that. It's about becoming like Jesus so that we do think and say what Jesus does, thinks and say. The second one is mission. Jesus has a mission. It's the Great Commission. Go make disciples. 
multiplication. If you read in Acts, the church multiplied. Uh, Acts chapter 2, it says they were added to the church daily. And then a little later it says the number of disciples multiplied. And then you go a little further, it says the number of disciples greatly multiplied. So, and it spread throughout all of Asia Minor, throughout all the entire Roman, Roman Empire. It multiplied. It was, became a movement. It wasn't just one little place where it happened, the entire Roman Empire. And so they give you principles on how do we, how do we become a church who listens to the Master, accomplishes His mission, and see Him multiply disciples through us so that that multiplication of disciples becomes a discipleship movement. And so we got some training in that, and the thing that it taught us more than any, taught us, the thing that we were really looking for was how do we serve together to make disciples? Everybody had all these contacts, but we weren't seeing people come to Christ. And once we started working together, once we had the unity um, and learned how to work together to make disciples, that's when we saw four people come to faith and three people baptized and three people join the church. So it was really good for us because we learned how to serve together to make disciples together. Because so often we think that when it comes to discipleship, I have to do it by myself with one person, and we don't. Jesus sent them out in pairs. Uh, he says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. And that is much more powerful than if we try to do it ourselves. When Paul went on his missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas, and they took along John Mark. The second time, it was Paul and Silas, and they ended up picking up Timothy and Titus and a few other people. They didn't do it by themselves. And that's what it taught us, how to make disciples together. And once that started happening, we started seeing people reconciled to God, coming to faith, and getting baptized and joining the church. So it was really good, good training for us. There's another group that I've got, had training through, and it's called 3DM. I think they're actually even here in the United States. M4 is mostly European because uh, they, they're contextualized for the European continent. It came out of Norway. <clears throat> 3DM came out of England. And what it does is it gives you more of the tools that you need for personal or small group discipleship. What are the principles? How do we disciple someone? So they're the ones that come up, came up with a pendulum swing that a, that a person or a church can go through this pendulum swing. There's four points on it. One is we start from a position of rest because man's first full day on, on earth as a human being he was created on the sixth day, but his first full day was the day of rest. So we work from our rest. We don't rest from our work. You start from a position of rest and glorifying in what God has already done, and then you move from that. You have rest, then you have pruning, God cuts back, then you have new growth, and then you have fruit bearing, and then the cycle starts all over again. So those are just some of the little things that I learned from 3DM. There's a bunch of other stuff that that would take you a whole that take a whole month to go through because there's just a ton and it's really good stuff. So if you get anything from 3DM or I think the website is weare3dm.org is the website, <clears throat> and I think it's m4europe might be m4europe.org. No, we have permanent residency, and we work hard at making sure we know what all the laws are and keeping to the laws, and uh, so they don't bother us. As a matter of fact, um, like even in our town, I've met the mayor, 
And the reason I met the mayor was because we were in one of the schools, and he was visiting one of the schools, and the director of the school brought him into the class where we were teaching English. And so he says, if there's anything else you have that can help our town, please let me know. So they know that, because I think one of the things that we lose sight of is that as believers, we need to do good simply because it's good to do. When you look at creation, what does it say every day? God said it, it happened, it was good. You look at everything, God only knows how to do things that are good. He can't do everything because he can't do evil. He can only do that which is good. He can't do folly. So our God can't do everything. He can only do that which is good and right and for the benefit of the people that he created and for his glory and honor. So that's what we learned. We learned that by doing good, if you do good, the government wants you there and they give you and they ask you and they come and they they actually are seeking your advice on things because you do good. And we don't have strings attached. We just do good because it's good to do. And why can we do that? Because we've been transformed by the power of the living God. And you have an opportunity to share Jesus through that. Yes? We, <laughs> it's, it's on and off. Uh, this past five years, we lived most of the time in, in um, Prague. Uh, so we've only lived in Karalupi probably about two years, because we were two years before we came on a home assignment in 2010. And, and the thing that, that's powerful about living where you're serving is we went out, and so our kids would go to the playground, Joshua, David, and Johnny. And so Josh and David would go out, and they'd play soccer with the neighbor kids, and I'd go out and play soccer with them. We got creamed because one of the neighbor kids, his dad is Italian. I think the... <clears throat> so, you know, anytime he wanted to from any place on the small soccer field, he could score a goal. You know, he could be at the other goalie, and boom, Goal! <laughs> <laughs> he could be out of bounds behind the goal and score a goal. <laughs> so we played with people like that, but that's how you get to know them. And then, of course, you, I sit down, and especially with him, because he's Italian, he's more likely to talk about Jesus Christ because of a Catholic brown, background. And so I talk to him about Jesus Christ all the time. There are times when my boys are out there, and the next thing you know, you hear them talking to their Czech friends about Jesus on the playground. People ask you, what in the world are you doing in the Czech Republic? We all want to go to America. Why do you want to be in Kralupi? This is like the armpit of the Czech Republic. It's a refinery town. It stinks. It smells. Why in the world would you be here? Because we're here to share the love of Jesus Christ with people and tell them that they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God for all of eternity. Yeah. right now we keep looking at there's internet sites where you can go like you have here to hunt for housing and there just isn't anything available right now there was in May <laughs> but not right now July 31st a week from Monday <laughs> so we're heading back a week from Monday and we don't we don't have a place to live. We can put up in a hotel, or we might be able to put up at a friend's house, uh, but we don't have a place to live in. You just kind of... God, God kind of waits the last minute for us, even with the housing that we had last time. 
That came in like the last week, week and a half before we took off. But you just take that step of faith because you know that's where he wants you. So, okay, God, we're going. You called us to go. You are responsible now to find us housing. So he will. Is that faith or is that stupidity? Um, There's a couple options. One of the options we have is our ministry space. Actually, it's furnished with our furnishing. So we have this ministry space for our church, and almost all the furniture in there is actually ours. Uh, And what's nice is the living room set is a couch and two chairs that fold out into beds. So only one of us has to find a sleeping bag or a mat to sleep on that. Theoretically, we could stay there, which would save us some money. But that's not a a very long-term solution, maybe a week, maybe two. Yeah, the whole office space isn't, if you take this behind me, the whole office space is probably about that size. That includes the kitchen, the bathroom, the tiny, tiny little office, the hallway, and the living room area. But God will, God will give us something. We just need to pray and be faithful at praying and seeking his face and asking for miracles because that's the norm for God. Miracles are the norm for God. They should be the norm for us. Any other questions? Yes. There are 70, 70, about 76% are atheists. Uh, less than 10% call themselves Christians. As a matter of fact, I think in the last census, there were more people who considered themselves to be of the order of the Jedi than any other denomination. They, they wrote, and that was a write-in. It wasn't like on the list. They just wrote it in, and there were more of them than there were of our denomination, and we have the largest Protestant denomination right now. Um, but they're willing to talk about things. They're willing. You can talk about spiritual things. They're atheists, but they're spiritual. There is a spiritual side to life. So they're willing to talk about spiritual things. You focus in. You don't talk about God, because when you start talking about God, you get all over the place. You know, you get the forces with you. Um, but when you talk about the person of Jesus Christ, it focuses in and it hones in on him more than anything else. And, and that's really a key thing, is if we talk about Jesus Christ more than God, um, he promised that if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to myself. And so in our conversations, we try to lift up Jesus Christ, and we're finding these people coming. That 76-year-old lady, uh, she might only be 71 or 72, but 70-year-old, some 70-something lady, the reason she came to the course was because younger people are coming to faith and they're not stupid because they've got masters and doctorates. There's got to be legitimate reasons why a person would believe in Jesus Christ. So she wanted to find out what those reasons were, so she came to a course we offered called Christianity Explored. In the process, she came to believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is, therefore he must be the Son of God, therefore there must be a God. So she came at it backwards. You know, it wasn't that she believed there was God first and then came to believe Jesus was his son. 
She came to believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is. Therefore, he must be the Son of God. Therefore, there must be a God. That works. Any way you get them there, it works. But the main thing is focusing in on the person of Jesus Christ. Proclaim Christ more than anything else by what you say, what you do, how you think, how you interact. Be like Christ and people will be drawn to him. If they see Christ in you, they will be drawn to the Christ in you and you have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. There's another hand somewhere. Yes. Um, yeah, because I work with middle school kids, which is interesting. This, and they're different than the college kids. High school kids, um, I don't know, my wife could probably tell you more than that because she's better at working with high school kids than I am. I still can't believe that I'm still working with junior hires. Um, but, the, but the bottom line there, again, is sometimes it takes them to see Christ in us before they're willing to talk about the Christ that we serve the Christ that we know. They have to see Christ in us. And don't be afraid to talk about Jesus Christ and to bring up Scripture. I bring up Scripture with atheists all the time. Uh, I don't always give the reference, but I'll quote something from Proverbs or from Psalms or from the Scripture, and I'll just put it out there. And my kids, the kids in my, my classes I teach at uh, Kamensky, which is named after John Amos Comenius, Anonymous Comenius, um, they've gotten to the place now where they realize that if, I, if I'm saying something, it's probably from the Bible, but they're okay with that because they realize the Bible is a book of wisdom. It's not just doctrine. It's practical. And when an atheist starts seeing the practicality of the Word of God, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to start investigating, is there something else in this book that I need to read that's practical? And hopefully, by the grace of God, that will draw them. So the big thing is just Utilize scripture, um, and just sometimes you can kind of paraphrase the scripture so that they can understand it better. My problem is, is that I've memorized all my verses in King James, and to this day, King James is my favorite because of its poetry, because of the poetic of, poetry of it. I love that way. But you have to bring it into their modern language so they can understand it, and just use scripture. One of the things we need to do with each other, which is kind of interesting because I had this and I was going to read this at the beginning. Um, most of us know Philippians uh, chapter 4, I think it's 6 and 7. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, and then I was going to piggyback that with Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And I think this is something, even though Paul is requesting that we pray, 
that the, the, the people in Colossae pray this for him is something we can pray for each other, even though we're not in prison, at least not yet. Uh, continue earnestly in prayer and being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I might make it known how I should speak. Um, two things there that are really, really important. to be Three things. To be earnest in prayer, to be fervent in prayer, nonstop praying for each other, that we have an open door to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when I recognize I got that open door and I go to open my mouth and nothing comes out. He also asks that I might have, in a sense, that I might have the words to say when that door opens. So let's pray that for each other. And if we earnestly pray that for each other, we might be surprised how many open doors there are in our daily course of living. And we might be surprised how often, if we're praying that for each other, how often God gives us the right word at the right time if we're earnestly praying this every day for each other. And if somebody comes across your mind and all of a sudden you say, Lord, I just want you to be with that person right now. Give them the words they need to say right now because I have a feeling they need to say something to somebody about you. Give them the words they need right now, Father. I have a feeling if we started doing that more regularly, more consistently, we might have more hallelujahs and help the angels rejoice in heaven a lot more frequently. Anything else? I see a man with a mic. I'm, I'm just getting ready to, to... Nothing. I just got a mic. Yeah. So I, th I, like I, think, I think our time is drawing to an end, or maybe it is past our time to draw to an end. No, but right, we're right at it. I just wanted to come up and pray for you and for Lisa. Okay. I, th I like where you ended with Philippians and Colossians, so let's... Mind if I pray? We pray that for you guys. Sure. Lord God, um, we do pray that you would open a, a wide and fruitful door of ministry for the Griffiths. We pray that you would um, cause them not to grow weary in doing good, but to um, labor in the confidence that their work will be rewarded in the Lord. And we do pray that you would give them the words to speak, that they would not be ashamed. The Apostle Paul asks for um, prayer that he might not be ashamed. And so that all of us would be faithful. And we pray that you would um, encourage their faith by letting them see some of the increase that you give um, as, they, as they plead with children, plead with men and women to come and know you. And Lord, we pray the same thing for ourselves because mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are those that you would have come to your banquet all around us. And so missions is not something just done out there, Lord, but it's something that we need to be doing um, the, wherever we are. So help us to be faithful as well. Thank you for their faithful work in ministry. I pray that you would uh, refresh them and send them back um, refreshed, invigorated, strengthened for the work of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, if we have some prayer card or prayer bookmarks, they're back there where the donuts were, so feel free to grab them. If we run out, let us know. We can get some more.